You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Hi, everybody. I'm Lynn Bonner with the News and Observer, hosting Domecast, Civil War Edition. I'm here with special guest Jane Stansel, the NNO's higher education reporter, and regulars Will Dorn and Andy Spey of the Capitol team. Welcome, everybody. We'll get right down to it since we had a busy week. Jane, get us up to speed on what happened with uh, Silent Sam. Yeah, it was a big week for Silent Sam um, at UNC, the Confederate soldier monument there right at the center of campus. Uh, There was a huge rally uh, Tuesday night, and uh, the police were expecting this. They put big barricades around the monument to prevent people from trying to pull it down. There were about a thousand people out there Tuesday night protesting and, you know, basically saying, tear it down, tear it down. And um, it was tense at times. There were a a lot of law enforcement agencies out there trying to keep the peace. And uh, at one point they had to shut down Franklin Street and the protesters marched to UNC President Margaret Spelling's home. Uh, So the day before this happened, UNC officials, uh, including Spellings and Chancellor Carol Folt, had written to Governor Cooper basically saying, you know, we need your help. We, you know, this is getting out of hand. We, we're spending a lot of money protecting um, the peace, uh, you know, on campus. And, and we also think that this is just a public safety ha- hazard to, to even have the statue. So we need you to convene the Historical Commission. The 2015 law on public monuments basically says you can't remove them or alter them or even do anything to them really without the Historical Commission um, giving permission. But in reality, the law doesn't give them a whole lot of latitude either. So it's, it's, there's, a, there's sort of a, a standoff now, really. Um, you know, UNC's Governor Cooper responded to their letter by saying, look, there's an exception in the law that says if it's posing a hazard, you can take it. You can take it down. UNC can take this down tonight if they want to, basically. Um, but uh, UNC does not agree. They think that he's his legal interpretation is wrong and that they don't have the latitude to take it down. So there is somewhat of a standoff at this point, and there are still su- students uh, holding a sit-in at the at the monument. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So, Will, there was some response from uh, the House Speaker on this, wasn't there? Uh, didn't he say uh, thanks, uh, Carol, for... Yeah, he, w- he was very appreciative of uh, UNC officials for basically not buying uh, what Cooper's analysis on it was. Uh, you know, Cooper said, you know, hey, you know, the law is very clearly lets you, you know, remove statues if there's a public safety danger associated with it. And, you know, there was the case in Texas earlier that day on Monday when he said this of, you know, someone trying to plant a bomb on something in Houston. You know, obviously you saw protesters tear down the statue in Durham using uh, very minimal safety precautions there, just kind of a rope and yanking on it. Um, But UNC officials 
reread the statute and said, well, we don't think it's really that broad. It's, you know, more just like if the statue is about to fall over and a building inspector says, you know, hey, this thing is dangerous and it's about to topple. That's really, they think, the only reason uh, that the law gives to remove it. So, yet, uh, Timor was... uh, was very appreciative of UNC to this. He said, uh, and this is his quote, acquiescing to threats of criminal vandalism and confrontation sets a dangerous precedent that state law can be circumvented in the presence of potentially violent intimidation. Ah. So (laughs) that is a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of big words in that quote. I saw um, something, I guess, a little bit more, uh, you know, to the point from uh, Michelle Nix, who's the vice chairman of the, the state GOP. Um, talking about basically, uh, you know, mob violence, you know, tearing these things down. And uh, she noted uh, that, you know, actually that kind of helps the GOP base too when there's, you know, this mob violence with people tearing down statues. So, you know, maybe it could be that this is a rare case in which, uh, you know, kind of both both parties are glad that we didn't have, you know, a, a swarm of people coming to tear down Silent Sam. So, Jane, do we know what's next uh, with Silent Sam? Uh, does the standoff just continue? Well, um, you know, I, I think I think there is, it's sort of in a holding pattern at this point. Um, can, uh, Chancellor Fold is getting some pushback from faculty on this issue. Um, one of them wrote an op-ed uh, in the News and Observer basically, you know, saying that um, her stance was baffling, you know, that, that Roy Cooper had given her a get-out-of-jail-free card by giving permission to take the, the statue down, uh, and she's not doing it, and what's going on, and, you know, uh, where is the courage, basically, is what he was saying. So, hmm. so uh, there, there's, a lot, there's a lot of emotion around this issue. Um, the students... The student groups who are still sort of protesting um, say they're not going away. You know, basically, this statue's going to come down one way or the, or the other was their, um, you know, veiled threat there. <laughs> so, yeah. But what do we always say as journalists? You know, it's follow the money. And Roy Cooper, you know, he's the governor, but he doesn't control UNC's budget at all. The legislature right. controls UNC's budget. And we saw them just the, with this past budget. They passed in June. Uh, take some shots at the UNC Law School, um, you know, some of the centers they've got there. And, uh, you know, you've seen legislators, like we said with Tim Moore and Phil Berger the same way, uh, happy with UNC's response to this. So I I think they were uh, probably very aware of the the financial reality as well. Right. Right. But what happens if alumni revolt and say, oh, I saw somebody saying, well, no more donations for you until we you take that statue down? I've heard it on both sides. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I tweeted uh, the other day this story about uh, UNC basically declining Cooper's invitation permission right. to take this down. And I heard from people on the left saying, you know, I'm not going to donate a cent until this statue is gone. And I heard people on the right saying, I'm an alumni and I'm very satisfied with this and they're going to get some money from me. Ah, so, okay. <laughs> Battle of the Bucks. In the meantime, we've had uh, a lot of uh, talk from uh, lawmakers and other elected officials uh, on their feeling on uh, monuments. Andy, uh, what uh, have you heard from the lieutenant governor and others? Uh, The lieutenant governor has been one of the more outspoken North Carolina politicians for quite some time. And he recently was in, um, I think it was Was Elizabeth City, City, and he was at the Daily Advance uh, and told them, 
he equated the uh, protesters with communist agitators and anarchists and uh, mentioned that uh, people should remember that communists killed 100 million people. And so sort of an attempt to cast all these protesters as, you know, political groups that, uh, you know, I, I don't know what he's attempting to do, but um, sort of discredit the protests as grassroots movements. Um, but there have been others. Uh, most other people have, people like John Blust have talked about, uh, he's a state rep from Guilford County uh, near Greensboro, um, have tried to defend the presence of the monuments. And he, you know, he said, um, <laughs> he went to Chapel Hill this week to stand guard at Silent Sam because he believed in it so much. Uh, George Holding came out and said that the statues are worth keeping because General Lee helped the the country move on after war and so that's something admirable and it's you know allegedly helps the country remember you know how people came together to heal afterwards um and then you have people like uh representative uh state rep mike clampett who's from bryson city who said that uh you know uh, he was more direct in just saying i he wants to honor the the Confederate soldiers, not, you know, the healing afterward. He said, may we respect and honor the Confederate soldiers, their courage, their sacrifices, um, and just as Americans. Uh, and so it's gotten a lot of, uh, a lot of people have weighed in from, you know, the very bottom of um, sort of the lower levels of the General Assembly to people like uh, G.K. Butterfield, a congressman from uh, Wilson County, uh, who said they should be taken down? Uh, no surprise there. He's he's a Democrat, um, and David Price too. So it's gotten a lot of response. And the historians have pointed out that you know this was not a monument erected right after the Civil War. It was in the you know right. the nineteen hundreds, and it was really it really was about kind of white supremacy right. and uh, and in that era and trying to assert a certain uh, white power so um, and they've cited the speeches that were given on the day of its dedication yeah one of those you know people have been pointing to that a lot in recent years but especially this past week and it I mean it's really bad just very racist this guy just bragging about how he was you know whipping this black woman for insulting a good southern lady just a few feet from where Silent Sam is but if you look at the statue itself, it's inscribed and it says, you know, it's just to honor the students who left school, went and fought and died. And um, uh, Representative Darren Jackson, who's the top Democrat in the state house, says, well, if that's the case, then why don't we move it to the cemetery at UNC? Kind of take it out of the place of prominence that it's in right now, right on Franklin Street, you know, move it down to, to South Road and this kind of, you know, to the cemetery where, you know, a lot of Civil War era people associated with the university are buried. So uh, we'll see. But again, um, it can't be moved without permission. So uh, we'll see where this goes um, as we uh, continue uh, with the with the fight over monuments. Um, another big issue uh, this week: redistricting. Uh, the House and Senate um, released their new maps to comply with a court order. Uh, so what do we see there, and, and what's the response been? Um, I think for the most part, you see pretty much, you know, more of the same. Um, 
you know, we haven't been able to really dig down yet into all of the the racial numbers with the districts. And obviously that's why we're doing this in the first place. It's over two dozen districts were thrown out by the court for being unconstitutional racial gerrymanders because they disenfranch- disenfranchised black voters. Um, and the uh, the plaintiffs in that case have uh, actually since released their own maps. They said that the, the maps that um, the GOP and their consultant released uh, they don't think did enough to uh, meet what the court told them to do. Um, we're going to have a vote on that soon. There's a committee meeting actually going on as we record this. Our, uh, our colleagues Lauren Horsch and uh, Ann Blyther over there checking it out as we speak. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the ultimate vote is. Um, but it, it could end up, you know, uh, back in court. The, the deadline is September 1st, and uh, if either we don't approve something by September 1st or if we approve something that the judges don't like, we'll end up with a judge drawing the maps for us. Right. So yeah. <laughs> it'll be you interesting know, to see. It was interesting looking at the maps. Um, when they take incumbency into account, we saw these little notches with people sort of barely in a district um, <laughs> and some interesting uh, matchups too. I mean, there are some incumbents who are – in uh, districts uh, with other incumbents. So um, there was, I guess, the um, general sentiment at uh, the public hearings was that the maps still aren't fair. But um, when you are taking incumbency into account, I mean, you're still going to say, well, this district may benefit the person sitting in the district. So there you go. Yeah, it's uh, there. We crunched the numbers and you know, it looks like, you know, after the next elections, it'll probably still be around the same balance of power in both the Senate and the House with, you know, both both chambers having a supermajority of Republicans, which means that, you know, it, as long as they, you know, get everybody or almost everybody to vote along the party line, they've got enough uh, power to override uh, Cooper's vetoes. So we'll see in 2018. Um, there were about... Um, there are about 10 districts out of the 50 in the Senate that could feasibly be competitive. The rest are all either very safely Republican or very safely Democrat. So uh, Democrats will have to flip a decent amount of those 10 if they want to, you know, get rid of the supermajority in the Senate. And in the House, it was around 20 out of the 120 districts that were competitive. So the, for the most part, you know, the, these districts are set up so that, you know, one party or the other is going to have pretty much a set number of wins, and then you just have this small margin uh, where, where you're going to see people uh, fighting. So, And speaking of veto overrides, we had a couple this week. Yeah, um, there are six bills that Cooper has vetoed that still uh, haven't been taken up by the legislature. Uh, he vetoed 11 in total. Uh, they've already uh, overridden five of those vetoes, um, including the state budget. That we were talking about earlier. Um, and uh, on Thursday, they overrode two more vetoes. One was this kind of wide-ranging bill that did a ton of different things. Cooper vetoed it basically for two reasons. He said that um, it gave the legislature undue influence over the state medical board. Um, he said it was kind of a power grab by them. And then it also um, set up uh, a system where this uh, one state employee could essentially draw two different paychecks for, from the state, one for his regular job and one for a board that he serves on. 
um, and Cooper said that that was unfair. Um, and so he vetoed that bill. That got overridden, so uh, that guy will now be drawing both of his paychecks again, and the General Assembly will have their uh, extra influence over the medical board. Um, and then the other was uh, this bill on this thing called uh, credit property insurance, which is basically when you've got these very high interest consumer finance loans that people take out, um, which are, it's really for people with a bad credit score. You know, if you, if you can't go and get a normal loan, you have to go to, you know, this office and you'll take out a loan that's maybe 30%, 20% uh, interest. And a lot of times they will sell you insurance on the loan. So, you know, in case you lose your job or you, you know, break the new jet ski that you just bought with this loan or something like that, then you're protected from having to pay all of the money. Um, Democrats and a lot of consumer advocacy groups say that this is basically just a scam. They call it junk insurance. They say it's just, you know, another way for these companies to just pilot money and prey on poor people. Um, But uh, the more pro-business argument for it is that, well, people can already buy some insurance for this kind of stuff. So this is just giving consumers even more options and it's just updating the industry. Um, So... Uh, in the end, the pro-business side carried the day, and they overrode that veto as well. Um, so that was a, a big win for the uh, consumer lending industry, which over the last four years has uh, given more than half a million dollars to members of the General Assembly, and about 92% of that has gone, gone to Republicans uh, who voted to override this veto. So that appears to have been money well spent. Uh, for those business people, um, we still have several uh, still to come. We'll see what happens with those. There's a regulatory reform bill. Um, there's uh, one regarding uh, newspaper uh, ads in Guilford County and with the public legal notices and a handful of other ones. If you want to get all the details, uh, go and read my story. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the garbage juice one is probably the, uh, the most... Uh, uh, high-profile one. Long-time listeners of Domecast will know all about garbage juice, right. so I won't go into the details now, but uh, we'll, we should see all of those come up uh, on Monday in the House, except for the regulatory reform one, which is in the Senate, and I have not seen a calendar for that one yet. All right. Well, um, now, uh, Andy, you had a fact check this week. That's right. And let's uh, get us up to speed. It was David Lewis, right? It was David Lewis. People may recognize his name because he's at the center of all this redistricting. Um, he's a state house member from Harnett County and is, I would say, among the most powerful Republican legislators down there. Um, but a while ago, he wrote on his blog that uh, he was angry about one of the lawsuits between Cooper and the legislature, and he said that uh, Governor Cooper has filed nearly one lawsuit each month with almost every single one an attempt to extend his own power. And uh, PolitiFact found that uh, mostly false. Um, Cooper has been in office nearly eight months. He's filed three lawsuits and amended them twice. One of those came after Lewis posted his blog post. So he's a bit off with the numbers there. Um, But what PolitiFact found most... um, disingenuous was the claim that Cooper is trying to extend his power. Uh, Most of the lawsuits that the governor has filed uh, are an attempt to uh, get back some of his powers uh, that 
the General Assembly Republican lawmakers took away shortly before he took office. In December of last year, uh, they held a special session, uh, and McCrory, obviously, the old Republican governor, was still there. And uh, they took away, they, they restructured the state elections board so that he could no longer, the Democrats wouldn't be able to have a majority on various uh, elections boards around the state, um, which is what the old law allowed. You know, if, if the governor was in power, he could appoint more people to county elections boards than uh, the other party. Um, and so they changed that to make it an equal number. And so Cooper sued over that. He also sued uh, because they, uh, changed the law so that the state Senate, controlled by Republicans, would have to confirm his nominations for various uh, departments. So overall, uh, it was sort of disingenuous um, and misleading. So we rated that uh, mostly false. Well, thanks, Andy. And thanks for uh, sort of summarizing all those lawsuits. So over the last few months, it's been hard to keep track of what's filed and what's amended. So I appreciated sort of that list. But uh, Note to officials, uh, PolitiFact is watching and listening. We're going to take a little bit of a break now, and we'll be back with Headliner of the Week. Every two minutes, an American is sexually assaulted. Be the someone who gives their time. Be the someone who lends an ear. Be the someone who takes a step. This is Christina Ricci with Rain asking you to join the fight against sexual violence and volunteer in your community. Log on to RAIN.org, that's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G, to learn how you can be the someone. This message brought to you by the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network and this station. Welcome back. Now with our headliner contest, uh, we're each nominate a uh, person, place, or thing that uh, to be headliner of the week. And so we'll start with Will. Will, who have you got? Um, I have really, I guess, more of a group nominee. It is the Greenville Little League team. Uh, they have just been blowing the competition away in the national championship of elementary school, middle school baseball. Um, and they are now playing for the national championship this weekend and uh, could soon be playing for the international championship, the world championship, you might say. And uh, they got a nice little shout-out on the uh, house floor yesterday after they were done uh, with their kind of acrimonious veto session. Uh, Representative Greg Murphy, who's from Greenville, got up and he said, you know, this isn't just Greenville's team, this is North Carolina's team. Uh, He pointed out some of the records that they've been uh, setting with their ridiculous pitching staff. Um, I myself was a pitcher back when I played Little League, although I'm sure I could not hold a candle to these kids. They look amazing. Uh, And so, yeah, we're we're wishing them luck over the weekend and uh, see where they go. Thank you. So we got uh, Greenville Little League in the hat. Andy? I think I'm going to stick with sports, sort of. Uh, I'm going to go with ESPN uh, removing their slated announcer for a UVA, University of Virginia, football game because of his name, which is Robert Lee. Uh, <laughs> they said that uh, <laughs> they w- wanted to avoid distractions in Charlottesville, um, considering what happened there on, I think it was August 10th, with um, – the white supremacist rallies and stuff like that. So, um, but that's obviously drawn lots of criticism from people on the left and the right. Here we go, Robert Lee. 
And Jane, who you got? I'm going to continue the Civil War theme here uh, and go with the obvious Silent Sam, the statue on McCorkle Place at UNC. He is silent. He's holding a, his gun, but he does not have ammunition on him, so that's why he's silent. There's also that old legend that he f fires his gun when a virgin walks by. Uh, which is sort of an old and tale. So, at so has, has he ever fired it? We, no. We've never heard it fired. We've never heard it fired. Anyway, uh, Silent Sam uh, was silent this week, but the people around him were not. Yes, Silent Sam. Well, you know, my heart's with uh, Greenville Little League, but my head says Silent Sam. So Silent Sam is our headliner for obvious reasons. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Domecast this week. Next week, you'll be back with your regular uh, host, Jordan Schrader. But until next time, take it easy. Bye. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.